If there's one phrase that sums up the physical therapy profession, that phrase would be, it depends. Welcome to the Tales from the Plant podcast, where we will explore the notorious it depends phrase through interesting and in-depth interviews with physical therapists from all types of practice. Join us for inspiration, laughs, and tips and tricks in starting and improving your clinical practice. Welcome Welcome to to Tales Tales from from the Plant podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back to Tales from the Plinth. This week, we have Julie Hartman with us. She's a professor at Bellarmine University in Kentucky. Say hi to the audience, Julie. Hi, everybody. Uh, Julie, can you share a little bit about yourself? Well, I thought I I could kind of take you on a brief journey of of how I ended up at Bellarmine. Um, I'm a 1985 graduate of Marquette University, got my Bachelor of Science in Physical Therapy. came back to Erie, Pennsylvania, where I grew up. And um, even though I swore up and down, I was gonna be a sports physical therapist, I promptly got a job at a head trauma facility um, and spent time there um, about seven years uh, in that um, facility. And actually, if it was still open, I think I'd still be there because it was really an awesome place to work. I left there and opened up my own business called Resource Physical Therapy with um, Dr. Kristen Snarsky. Um, we had our business together and it really was a local traveling company. So we, through Erie County, we were doing contract work for people that were going on maternity leave or if someone called in sick or somebody needed an extra therapist that day, we could show up. And Kristen was really the pediatric person and I was the surprising geriatric person. Um, from there, once the, the Balance Budget Act of 97 really threw us for a loop as far as re- reimbursement went, so I ended up being a contractor and then a full-time employee in a home care agency and, and absolutely fell in love with home care. That was, I, I knew I was home with, with that setting. Um, then in, in the back of my mind, I always wanted to teach and I thoroughly enjoyed being a clinical instructor um, in some of the settings I was in. And so I knew that I wanted to go that direction There was a a position open at Gannon for uh, the DCE position and and I went for it and stayed there for about 14 years and then recently um, came here to Bellarmine. So I've been at Bellarmine since January of 2020. So before becoming the DCE, did did you have to go back to to get an additional terminal academic degree? Because we actually had that talk from Chris Lecters um, during our like rotational career type day where they explained how do you become specialized? How do you become a teacher and all that stuff? So while I was still in the clinic, I went back for my master's in adult education slash health education. Uh, and I got that from Penn State. And then once I started working um, at Gannon, even though I was hired in a position that didn't typically require a terminal degree, within a couple months of being there, there was some changes and I had to then pursue a terminal degree. I knew I always wanted to do it. It was just a matter of timing. I got my GCS first because I wanted to capture all that clinic time I had and then um, went back to the University of Maryland and got a doctor of physical therapy. So So, I have a doctor of science in physical therapy, the DSC. Gotcha. So where, so you become the DCE, and that was just driven by your passion for clinical education. Where did things like essentials start to come into the picture? Because for those listening, 
Um, and for students who are maybe in their first year um, of physical therapy at Gannon who didn't get to have Julie, she taught our essentials class and it was awesome. So I had the best of both worlds as the DCE. So I had that clinical um, education piece, but I also could dabble in a little bit of teaching. And the essentials course was something I was always interested in because of those basic skills. You know, I, I always used to say, this is your bread and butter. This is something that you're gonna use this every day of your career from the day you start until the day you stop. And I love that it was more of a lab-based course. Um, and it was, it was that introduction into the profession. And so it, it kind of had to be fun, you know, to, to say, look, we can have a good time while we're learning things. And then hopefully, you know, it provided that foundation for everybody as they progressed to the program. And then the geriatrics course just was there. I mean, that was something that with my GCS and my passion, I always wanted to um, be the course coordinator for that particular course. Now you said initially you were all about sports and then ended up with your GCS. What kind of triggered that switch and kind of your passion there? I, I would say the biggest thing that happened was um, home care. I, mean, I loved when I did contract work, I was in um, a lot of the nursing homes and I loved being there. And I loved the residents that I got to work with. But being in the home care setting where it's one-on-one -on -one and you're on that patient's turf and you are the PT, the OT, the nurse, the, the everything, the, the social worker, the activity coordinator uh, for that patient. And just that holistic approach was something that made so much sense to me. And still to this day, I have friends um, from families that I spent time with as a home care therapist. I wanted to jump in here, Ben. I know you have the next question coming up. Um, yeah, I know, right? Typical David doesn't really go with the order of things. No. Um, so we've heard on this podcast several times um, various opinions about home care and being a new grad. Um, and a, a fair amount of our listeners are, you know, in, in our class, um, like you said, you're, you're basically everything to someone on home care and uh, you're on their turf. What's, what's your opinion about someone maybe in our class or in another, in another physical therapy program who might be looking into home care as a new grad? So if you can get a clinical rotation in home care, absolutely do that because then you will get a sense of paperwork and timing and travel. And, and if you can handle homes that you go into and family situations that you might encounter, it'll give you that eight to 12 week taste of, of that setting. And I, oh, here we go. It depends. Boy, does it depend. Um, it depends on the individual. It depends on the agency that you would work for. If you are a student who is very driven and very independent, but knows your limits and knows when it's time to reach out to somebody else, certainly you can handle home care. Now, is it beneficial to have experience in an acute care setting or somewhere else? Certainly, I mean, any, any experiences that you have are only gonna benefit you as far as some of the diagnosis that you might see, you know, because if you're the only person in there and something comes up and you are ticking through your differential diagnosis list, um, and then you then have to say, okay, it's time for me to make a phone call to 911 or to the nurse that works with this individual um, because of something that you're seeing. But I, I, 
I think if you were to ask me this when I first started as a DCE, I would say absolutely not. There shouldn't, you know, new grads should not go there. But I've seen successes, and so you know, never say never. So I wanted to go back and touch on a couple of things that we kind of talked about. So one is we talked about essentials class. So today, like teaching somebody how to walk with a single point cane and using like a step through gait pattern. That's like day one PT school, Julie Hartman. So thank you for that. That's awesome. Never goes away. And two, like when you talk about wanting to be a sports PT initially, so many people have said that and like myself and included initially that's kind of like what I wanted to do but something that I've found and this is more just a general statement people that are like older elderly you know the geriatric population I love working with them because they are there to work like they're not there to mess around like some patients you know might not buy in as much but every one of those patients the elderly patients that I see tend to be bought in thousand percent like they are willing to do whatever it takes and I just love that well and I think that the other beauty is I I still have the ability to interact with older athletes there are those highly competitive athletes many of whom are my friends um, that I can still be a part of their kind of um, sports career um, being involved in the senior games I mean there's so there's still opportunity to kind of get that sports fix uh, in the in the geriatric world. Gotcha. Now, I was wondering, when you became, when you started working in education at Gannon, did you still treat like in the clinic occasionally or how does that kind of work? Yeah, typically you are allotted so many hours per week as a faculty member to um, continue with your clinical practice. And so uh, I did, I stayed in home care and you know, I may be only seeing one or two patients a week, uh, or if I had a vacation or if there was a, a certain period of time where I had more time, I would try to pick up more people. Now I got picky as I got um, into more of a faculty role. And, you know, I would say, okay, only give me people in downtown Erie or close to my house. So I didn't have to do a lot of travel. Gotcha. Now, how did you, if at all, did you see kind of like your clinical maybe style change or how did being a educator, did it change at all the way that you treated patients? Maybe as far as like keeping up with research or trying new things? Uh, You know, absolutely. I think you're, as a faculty member, you're always scouring the literature. You're always reading and trying to stay up to date and, you know, reaching out to other individuals at conferences and getting the, the best options for treatment. So I think that it, the evidence to support what I was doing, you know, I, I tried to make sure that I stayed on top of that. And, and being in the academic world, you're surrounded by it. And so yeah, it was very helpful clinically. I'm sitting here in this podcast listening to you and I'm finding these moments of like, man, like I wish I could show her how good we are at stuff now. Like, <laughs> oh, I believe it. I know you guys were good. <laughs> I mean, because I can remember back to those days in essentials where like, like you said, the simple things, and you would just throw a scenario out there that threw us off enough that as first year students within our first few weeks, we're just so, so like, it, you know, completely just through our minds for a loop. I mean, I remember back to uh, the vital signs checkoff where we were all freaking out about it. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite part about teaching students that early on? 
I, I think the fact that you're not tired, <laughs> you're not tired yet. It's, you know, the first semester. So I currently teach in the first semester here um, in a uh, teaching and learning course which just embraces clinical education wonderfully. And it's that first semester, it's in the summer. It's like people are brand new, they're wide-eyed, they're excited, they're curious. And, and, and so it's very energizing to be around the students at that point. Great answer, I love that. No, cause I mean like it's totally applicable to like first year you're like all gung ho. And then by third year, you're like, man, I can't wait to just be on clinic. Like nothing against the teachers. It's just, we want to be practicing finally, right. you know? Um, so another question that I was really hoping to get to ask you tonight was the process of all the organization that goes in to being a DCE and, and to making sure clinical education goes well for the students that you're helping with it. Um, I've had many questions, even from family members I've lived with during my, my rotations of like, how did you get here? Like, how did they find someone? Can you take us through even a glimpse of that? So let me preface it with it. It takes about three to five years to get good at it. So it is this combination and kind of dance of here's this student in front of me and here's how I know them and what they're good at and what they struggle in here's this clinic site that I've been to, I've visited, I know it, I see it. Here's the, the number of clinical instructors that are at that site that I think can probably work well with this student. And that part of the placement process for me, I always loved because I felt like I knew the students well enough to be able to say to them, to anyone, nope, you will not do well there. That is not the place for you. Or to take that student who maybe wasn't as confident and go, you know what? I'm going to send you to the Cleveland Clinic. And, and then that for that student to come back and have just, they thrive and they're this different person and they're so confident. So that, that kind of trying to figure out, I mean, you guys used to laugh at my big white board but it was it's something, you know, it, it just allowed me to process what was going to work. Is it the most efficient method? Yeah, probably not. Um, but it worked for me. And I felt like 90 to 95% of the time, the placements were good. There was always going to be issues with clinics shutting down or clinics um, saying they couldn't take any more students or whatever, whatever the reason was. This behind the scenes thing with the DCE position is the amount of administrative slash paperwork slash headaches that go with it. And it is only getting worse. I mean, I still hear the Castle branch and I, I get a little nervous um, because I know how bad it was for you, but think about on our end, trying to keep track of everything and you know, 50 different sites with 50 different requirements and trying to figure out all of that, it, it's really a challenge. And I don't care what kind of um, electronic system you have that can help you through all of that. There's still a lot going on and it's, COVID has only made things more difficult and more challenging. Um, does that, does that answer your question as far as? That's a fantastic answer. And you know what, like I, I think it, it just provides a, 
more of a perspective because like, I know it must be stressful, but I didn't realize how much went into it. One of the things that just jogged my memory is, did you, is it correct that you guys used to drive to like make site visits out of town or something? Oh, I went everywhere. I went all over the country. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Now they're like, because of COVID and stuff, they're all, they're all over Zoom. And I almost forgot basically that like it used to be an in-person day at the clinic. That's wow. Yeah. So that's, and that is how I got to know everybody. So it, it what an opportunity for me to meet I'm going to say hundreds of clinical instructors, hundreds of therapists that were just phenomenal. And, you know, my level of respect for those clinicians and their willingness to take students and all that, it continues to rise. I mean, even way back when, when I was a clinical instructor, I didn't look at myself like that. It was like, yeah, okay, I'll take a student. It's my duty to the profession. Um, but to, to kind of be on the other side and see it, um, it's, it's a lot of work for a clinical instructor to be a good clinical instructor. In your experience as either a clinical instructor or as a director of clinical education, have students been either offered positions or hired on, or have you given references, obviously based off your time with them? And, and how does that rotation basically being a quote unquote extended interview um, kind of influence the dynamic of it? Wow. Um, I would hope that that's not how clinicals are viewed. You know, I, yes, indeed. I think if you are interested in a particular placement and it's known to the people there, it, it could be partial interviewing, but your time in clinic is time to learn. And hopefully that is the priority when you are at that clinic site. Uh, and, and definitely there's been a number of students that have, um, because of the clinic that they chose, they got a job there. And, um, or, the, or, you know, halfway through, they were, they were um, given a um, referral or recommendation to apply for a position within that system. Um, but yeah, that's a tough one. That's a really tough. It definitely is too. And you know what? It's even a tough topic for us because we like, we'll hear that on occasion in a, in a class or during a career fair or something like that. And it, for me personally, and I don't know how many students out there will feel the same, I know clinical rotations are as much of an opportunity to like to learn, but I also seem to have this habit of taking them as my opportunity to perform. And I put this extra pressure on myself where like, I want to perform as best as I can, but I also don't want to be afraid to make the mistakes that I do. Right. Cause you're going to miss out on great opportunities if you're so worried about just performing. And certainly part of the clinical instructors or the clinical um, system is you go and you, and you say, okay, this is what I know. And then they help you advance uh, what you need to know uh, and, and build on those foundational skills that you have. But is ever the expectation that you're going to come in perfect and know everything? No. No. So don't be afraid to fail. I like that. Yeah. Just as long as no one gets hurt in the process. <laughs> what do you think are kind of the keys for students? Like what can students do to make the most of their clinical experience and kind of go beyond just, you know, taking on a caseload, like making the most out of their experience? I would say really getting a handle on what that clinic is about before you even get there. So do your research, know the types of patients that they might see, know where it is. So we, on that first day, when you drive there, you're not late. Uh, but then when you're there, 
asking to be involved in as many things as you can. You know, if they offer surgical observation, if they offer a journal club, if they offer working with the OT and the speech language pathologist, do it. Grab hold of those experiences because those are the opportunities where you learn so much. And it, things that you think, oh, there's no way, you know, I'm going to go work with this speech language pathologist. What am I going to learn? And then, wow, you learn about positioning and um, how important it is for swallowing. So any, anything that that particular hospital setting, whatever setting it is, take advantage of any opportunity and ask, ask, ask. Don't be afraid to ask. The worst they can say is no, right? Yeah, my, I'm in a pretty specialized clinic right now. I'm doing oncology and lymphedema rehab. Mm-hmm. And we're working with a ton of breast cancer patients. And what's great about my CI is that she did a rotation in oncology rehab when she was in school. And she got the opportunity to, you know, shadow with radiation oncology, shadow with the surgeons, mm-hmm. see like other specialties in the clinic. And so she's really pushing that with me too, which, you know, she's pushing to like tomorrow morning, I'm shadowing with radiation. A couple weeks, I'm shadowing with speech language pathology. And I think it's just really creating, like really giving you the whole picture, especially Mm -hmm. because of how specialized this field is. And like, we talk about oncology and lymphedema rehab, but it's, you know, a lab here and there. But I think it's really great that, um, like, I got that in the clinic over the summer, too, where I got to observe surgery. And mm-hmm. it really just solidifies, like, your kind of role in healthcare, too, I think. Absolutely. You know, I think the other thing is not only be prepared before you go to clinic, but, it, and, and I know days can be long and exhausting, but prepping for the next day you know, if there's a couple patients where you're like, eh, I'm not quite sure what to do, you take that time and you prepare your clinical clinical instructor, number one, will be very happy and will be very impressed with you. So uh, plus, plus you're learning and then you're allowing yourself to be able to ask questions of the clinical instructor, you know, based on things that I looked up yesterday, this is what I think I want to do with this patient. And then it allows you to start to have those peer-to-peer discussions. I love it. And I think uh, like a quote I always think back to is Professor John like will always tell us in healthcare class, like basically when you graduate, we just teach you enough to like not hurt anyone. Right. And he didn't mean that like in a bad way. He really just meant that in a way of like you have to continue to like want to learn. Mm-hmm. So like not to go into a rotation thinking like, hey, I'm just going to perform because I know this stuff, like really being urgent to ask those questions to say yes like that's the biggest thing it's like just say yes to things mm-hmm. and like Liz was saying I think being able to shadow different you know kind of healthcare providers now when patients come in and they say hey I have a, an appointment with doctor so-and-so tomorrow like now I've shadowed him and I know what his process is and I know what his kind of like mindset is and I think it helps just so much more like with that kind of carryover of the patient you know, treatment mm-hmm. and having that kind of rapport with other clinicians, even as a student, you know, I've hung out with a guy for four hours and I think it made a huge difference just that I know like what he's all about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, didn't Drew Contreras say, be in the moment? Yeah. For sure. And, and just be there, just show up. Be there, show up, be in the moment. And, 
And I know that that is really hard. It is hard. It is exhausting to do. Um, but the more you can do it, the more you're going to take away from that clinic. All right. To switch gears a little bit. Okay. So I'm curious, you've been in Kentucky for about two years, mm -hmm. right? Two years ish. Yeah. Have you seen like any major differences in the way that maybe the education itself like approaches the way they teach physical therapy or is it pretty much for the most part similar? I think it's, it's, there's so many similarities. I will tell you that um, Bellarmine is a suburban Gannon, the, the way it's set up. It's a Jesuit-based university. And, you know, if you look at the mission and vision statement, they're pretty much the same. And, and our mascot is the knight. So <laughs> there's, there truly is. And, and that's, that's part of the reason why I chose to come here, because I knew that, that all of that was what I really liked about being a, being a Gannon. And so to see it in Bellarmine is the same thing. Um, I, I work with a larger faculty and that's been helpful for me as far as um, having a, more people to reach out to when I'm not quite sure about something in particular. Um, their service learning is a big part of their program here and, and service learning also was a Gannon. And that was, I always loved that component um, I think curriculum wise, things are set up a little differently, but CAPTI drives everything that we have to present. And so information, typical information is presented. It might just be in a little bit different order. You know, for example, their gross anatomy course is in their second year. And I was like, what? but it works. It works for the way other courses are sequenced. Um, so it's been fun. It's been fun to see different things. It's been fun to be part of different classes. I'm actually in differential diagnosis and, as well as cardiopulmonary and then the teaching and learning course in gerontology. So those are really my four courses that I teach as well as um, I'm in a service learning clinic called active steps for diabetes so i'm working with individuals with diabetes and they have they have seven service learning clinics here so there's almost anything your little heart could desire you can be a part of that's awesome have you noticed that any aspects of the physical therapy practice itself not just like the education but the practice differ in kentucky at all i've never been there the the biggest thing for me was when i transferred my license i immediately had direct access so, so think about the students graduating from here, they are graduating with the ability to have direct access immediately. And I was like, what don't, isn't there some course I have to take or no. So that, that's, that was a little bit of a transition for me um, as a clinician realizing that, you know, hello, here I am. I have direct access. Yeah. State to state, everything differs. Do you yeah. still do, I mean, like, do you still keep up with your physical therapy practice there? Or is it more the service learning clinic or? I, I've opted to have my clinic time be my service, the service learning clinic. Um, unfortunately, because of COVID, I, I couldn't get into anything, you know, so I came, I started in January, life was chugging along really good till March 11th or whatever that horrible day was. And so no getting into any clinics for a long time. And then the further I got away from the clinic, I thought, is, is it 
best serving to the clinic for me to go back in or not. And I just had to make this executive decision that I would stay within the service learning clinics and expand whatever I could in that area. And that's directly through the university? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I still remember the day everything shut down. We were literally just getting done with checkoffs, standing in the hallway in Morofsky, and we all got an email from Keith Taylor that we were shutting down. And everybody was in disbelief that we were taking basically two weeks off to let the teachers figure out their lives again. I mean, it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Now, we all, we all survived. More or less. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what I wanted to ask is, you know, what's it like making big career and life transitions like you did when you left Gannon to go to Kentucky or like leaving other jobs to go to different clinics? What's that like and what kind of helps you the most make that transition easier? Well, I, I would say I'm probably a little bit of an anomaly because of when I chose to leave, you know, born and raised in Erie and, and went away to school, but then came back and, and was there um, until it really was my kids who said, um, you know, it's your turn. It is your turn to go explore. And I thought, okay, I, I okay, I can do this. Um, it, it, there was a lot of soul searching that went on, you know, to, to decide whether or not this was a good time to do this transition. It's still a family in Erie. So that was difficult leaving them. But from a, from a clin ed perspective, I realized that there were a lot of changes going on nationally. And there was just some fr- frustrations personally with how nationally things were being run and I just didn't know if we were I was I was ever going to be able to continue to achieve what I wanted to achieve I thought I thought I did a pretty good job but I realized that maybe this was the time if I was going to make a change and I really wanted to teach full-time but I also wanted to um, become part of a residency and so now I am the director of the Bellarmine Geriatric Residency Program and the learning curve is woo, it is going backwards. There, it, it's just a whole new thing for me. It's been a lot of fun. It's been very challenging. And so I, I guess I'm not really answering your question, but uh, it's, it's a, a soul searching decision. It was a tough decision. Um, there were, t- I, re- I took a video of myself the morning, the very first morning of going to work. And I looked at, the, I said, what have I done? What have I done? And as soon as I stepped onto campus, I'm like, no, this is going to be good. I, I have support and I'm going to be able to do what I want to do. I'm going to be able to grow and learn and um, continue to teach students. Um, I miss Erie. I, I miss the snow. I don't miss the cold, but I miss the snow. Um, I miss my friends. I miss my family. Um, but thank God for things like Zoom and Facebook, FaceTime and all that. I, you know, I get to see everybody and I come home. I try to come back to Erie at least twice a year, if not a little bit more. It's only, that's, it's a mere seven hour drive. A mere seven hours. Yeah, no, that was, I, I needed that answer personally because I know that for all of us, I mean, in, including me, this upcoming next year or more is going to be a time of great change for all of us, whether it's personal lives, like I just got engaged or for all of us. Yeah. 
I wanted to say that. <laughs> Congrats. So, thanks. Um, or like personal lives, like we're all going to be possibly moving and getting jobs. And this is something that Ben and I talk about all the time. We've said on several episodes now, balancing the decision to possibly leave somewhere that we've called home for 24, 25 years. I mean, like that's soul searching. I mean, I need, I need to know, like, how, how did you deal with it? Cause change is scary. You know, oh, it was frightening. Um, and, and the hardest thing was, well, there's a couple of things that were difficult leaving my, um, you know, I knew the community inside and out and I had all of my resources and, and all my go-tos, you know, from a geriatric perspective. And so it was, oh, I got to start all over again. And I know nobody, I know nobody. So I looked at that and said, okay, make that a challenge, you know, meet somebody new every day. Um, just figuring out things like, where's the dentist, where I need which healthcare system is the best here in Louisville? Um, where is the grocery store? Where am I going to live? You know, trying to figure out all of that. And, and I did it and I'm still okay. And I'm learning every day and I'm starting to get out and see the city and take advantage of everything that's that's here. I mean, I'm half a block from the um, baseball stadium. I am um, half a mile from the soccer stadium. I live on the waterfront. So there's miles of trails for running. There's bridges that I can walk over into Indiana. And so every day it's, it's like this baby step of, okay, what can I do today um, to challenge myself a little bit? And, and, and the loneliness will be there. You know, there will be days when you you know you just think, oh, I just I, you know I wish I had my friends right here with me. But um, meeting new people and 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 it's okay to be afraid. You know, it's absolutely okay to be afraid. I'm gonna have my fiance listen to that answer because uncertainty and change for both of us is like crazy because we're both eerie born and eerie raised and love our hometown. Um, no, that was great. So you said your daughter was also from Kentucky. Yeah, so she's here. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So, you, like, did you have experiences? Like, that's another thing. Ben and I will talk about all the time, and it seems like every place we we want to move is only somewhere we've ever visited once. Oh, yeah, and that and that can be challenging because you don't know what you're getting into. So, fortunately for me, um, both my kids were BMX racers, and so we were in Louisville from the time that the kids were little. We came every year for Grand Nationals, so I got to know the city then. And then, funny thing, my daughter went to Bellarmine. And so I knew the campus and knew the culture. And so that part of that transition was easy. I'm like, I have been here. I know that it's on Newburgh Road. So getting to campus has not been any problem at all because I've been here so many times. So that, that made things a little bit more comfortable for me. I don't know if I would feel like that in any other city. And I did interview other places, but the, there was no fit. This was the, this was the best fit for me. Do you still work with students super early on and in the curriculum at Bellarmine? I forgot what you said about that. Yeah, that first semester of teaching and learning. Yep, I get them when they're wide-eyed and excited. You know, I love like all your comments about making yourself uncomfortable because I feel like that really is like it's cliche, but that's where growth happens. You know, whether that's in a city you've never been to in a new clinic where you don't have experience or anything like that. So that's awesome. Also got to say, I, you must have assimilated well because you got the Lowville down really good. Apparently, did you guys know that like you don't say it Louisville? 
Apparently, the people get as mad as I've heard. Like if somebody says Louisville down there. Slightly say Louisville. You got to say it like you're, there's, there's a saying, say Louisville like you're drinking bourbon. You know, the, so. <laughs> Just slur it a little bit, Louisville. <laughs> That's Louisville. <laughs> so I learned, I learned a long time ago how to say it correctly. So. <laughs> well, this has been awesome. Like, I'm so happy for you. Like, Clearly, you're super happy. You're doing great things. You're learning, constantly growing after having a super successful career. That's super amazing because it's hard to leave something when you're doing so well at it and it's going great. So that's awesome. But to wrap up, we got to ask you because we ask everybody, what is your kind of defining moment, you know, as a clinician where you knew like, okay, being a physical therapist, like this was the right choice. I'm doing the right thing. So I, I actually have three. Can I do that? Is that like, okay. So I think clinically. Bring it on. And clinically. And Throw I've, it heard, at us. I've heard some of your other um, podcasts where, where the clinicians talk about making an impact in a patient's life. You know, and, and for me, it was in that home care setting where I wasn't actually being a PT. And maybe it was something else I was doing that made me realize what a caring profession we have, you know, I will take all of those wonderful things that have happened to patients and the differences I've made in their lives. And, you know, one of the things I'm going to be tangential for just a second. One of the things we do as therapists is we just don't give ourselves enough accolades. You know, you treat a patient and they get better and you're like, yes, yes, I did that. And you're patting yourself on the back. Um, but it's not like you're walking around to the rest of the world going, did you see what I did? It's just something that we we just do because we want to help the patients. So clinically, it's any any patient out there in my past that I've made an impact in their life, um, physical therapy wise or not physical therapy wise. As a DCE, I think the defining moment for me was seeing those students that didn't think they could be successful in a setting be successful, and I think we I mentioned that before, and then. Um, pulling people to the dark side of geriatrics. That was always my, my goal to you know, get them out there and, and then suck them in so that they will love working with older adults so they can take care of me when I'm that curmudgeon old person. From a, from a teaching perspective, it is that seeing that passion and that creativity and that curiosity in students and having them come and ask questions and want to know more than just what's on the PowerPoint or what's in the textbook and seeing students put that together. And there was always one student a year that used to stand at my doorway and I would be like, and, and you guys know my manners and what, what could you possibly want? And then end up getting in these incredibly wonderful discussions about a patient they saw or things that they did in clinic and seeing that, just that passion that we wanna see in everybody. That's great, Julie. Thank you so much for coming on and being an avid fan of uh, our podcast and being an avid <laughs> listener. Love you guys. We love you and we miss you and we wish you all the best. Thanks you guys. And, and can't wait to hear the next round of um, podcast.